Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest episode of the Adopt365 podcast. Today, we're going to dig into Microsoft's recent announcements all about AI in uh, the applications that you already uh, use today and know and love um, in terms of Copilot. Um, before we dig into that a little bit more, let me introduce my co-host. First of all, Megan Warren. Hello. And last but not least, Anthony Jarman. Hello, everyone. So Satya Nandela, uh, CEO of Microsoft, said that on the day of the announcement, today marks the next major step in the evolution of how we interact with computing, which will fundamentally change the way that we work and unlock new waves of productivity growth. This is quite a big statement from um, uh, from Microsoft and from Satya Nandela. And he went on to kind of put this in a timeline of the di various different things, such as the graphical user interface and the mouse um, and other technical evolutions that we've seen in the past. So I'm really excited to see what Copilot can bring to our productivity experiences. Um, but before we dig into that, let's start with, uh, as we normally start, what is the thing that has stood out to you this month? What is the one thing of note? Um, and Megan, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, so mine is not a new app, not a new feature or anything like that. It is just the fact that I've been using OneNote recently. Um, I'm probably using it in the right way. Um, I've gone through, I've created sections. Um, within those sections, I then create pages. And I've even done it where I've created sub pages so that I can then collapse and expand those bits. And I actually have a... Um, password protected section as well now so it's it's nothing revolutionary but actually making sure that I'm not just got paper and pens on my desk and actually when I jump into a meeting or need to do anything like research for this podcast I've got it in, all in one notes so whether I've got my phone my tablet my laptop whatever I can always get those notes whether I'm at home or in the office so really basic one one that people will probably already know but actually I feel like I've re-fallen in love with OneNote recently. I think the challenge is putting it into action. I think I probably need to, uh, to get you to sit down with me and get my life sorted out, get me uh, organising my notes in the correct way. It's just putting it into action. I don't think I need that. Thank you very much for the offer, but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Anthony, what was your one thing for this month? So my one thing is I do quite a lot of work with um, SharePoint intranets. Um, and Viva Connect has always been something that's there, uh, and it's it's very simple. Just allows you to embed your um, organisational intranet into your Teams environment. So I was top left button on the uh, left hand bar. You can click through to your intranet, um, and it's never really done much more than that. But there's been some changes recently. Um, Microsoft have given us the option of going from that button to a Viva um, landing page which will give you access to your intranet, but also alongside that access to the other things in the in the Viva suite. So learning insights, Viva goals and Viva engage, which is uh, the new name for Yammer. So that's um, quite an, a, a different change. It, um, it will continue to work as it is if you leave it at the moment, um, but you've got that option to go in there and configure it and say, look, I don't want to go to my intranet from that button. I want to go to the uh, Viva land landing page. Um, and there's lots of dashboards and cards and things in there as well. So it's starting to bring together all those aspects of the uh, Viva experience. Um, the other thing, probably similar to uh, to Megan, I've been using Teams um, calling more and more uh, over the last month or so. Um, and it just works. It works really well. Um, and I just can't see any reason why people would not um, uh, implement that within their organization. 
Um, it's very feature rich. It's not like the old days where, um, you know, if you compared it with an on-premises um, normal kind of telephone switch that you'd have a lot less functionality. It's all there now, it all works really well and uh, it's all joined up within the team's environment. So uh, very impressed with some of the stuff that's gone in there recently. Brilliant, thank you Anthony. And I don't know if we, I think we're, we're classed the second as a plug there because that's two things for this month, but uh, it's all good. We'll, we'll, we'll let you uh, do a bit of promotion there. Um, so from my perspective, it was, I think it was Wednesday, uh, Microsoft announced the public preview of the Microsoft Loop app. Um, it's not enabled by default. Your IT administrators will have to um, set some policies inside Microsoft 365 Admin Console to make it available to you if you wish to try it. Um, but it's been really interesting to see how that works both on the web and as a mobile application. We've been using Loop components quite a lot in um, Microsoft Teams, but it's nice to see that there's now an app bringing those all together. Um, I'm still a little bit questioning how it's going to kind of fit all together with Teams and things like that moving forward. But it's nice to be able to now start playing with it and start to be forming some opinions. I know both of you have had limited access to it. I don't know if you, either of you have got any initial thoughts. I'm still looking for the, um, the the reason for it. I think it works really well on short lists and things like that, and just bits of live content that you want to uh, get people to contribute to. I'm thinking we probably should be doing a uh, a bit of a research, bit more research into it, and doing a uh, a live demonstration of it in the Adopt 365 platform, so that uh, we can show how it can be applied. With me, the technology is always like, yeah, it's nice to understand the technology, but how do I put it into action? within my organization. And I've not quite found that uh, place for Loop yet. Well, you heard it here first. Anthony's volunteered to do that live demonstration <laughs> in the Dot 365. He's not passing that over to me. Um, I, I, I agree with Anthony. We need to figure out how it's going to be used. I think Anthony and I um, had a excitable moment in the office the other week where we actually took a Loop component and put it in an email and sent it to someone and when you used Outlook in the web browser, it was working directly in that email. Love that functionality. The fact that if I was doing it in Teams, Anthony was doing it in Outlook, we'd still get that same um, list experience. All of that would be sort of the same when we're co-authoring it. Yeah, it's just how it comes into that whole application alongside things like Teams, like OneNote. Does it fit in? Does it replace? Does it enhance? I, I, I'm excited, but also not sceptical, but a little bit unsure of what purpose it has. So I, I think it will have some functionality in terms of standard blocks of text that could be used in multiple different environments, things like wikis and things like that. I think there's probably going to have to be a enhanced version control capability because if you imagine you had a bit of boilerplate text that you used in all your proposals and documents going out to a customers that could be written by marketing could go through a copywriter and told that story and that same block then gets put in every single document so if you need to tweak it you tweak it in one place and every single document is updated based upon that change that's been made and i think that that's one really good use case for it but clearly the way that it works today is it kind of works on a live editing perspective. And if someone clicks export at the moment when Megan is just renewing that piece of text, you're going to end up with it half written. So it probably needs some of that SharePoint functionality of being able to publish and version control in there. But certainly 
good to now have it in our hands. As Anthony said, maybe we need to, to take it away, have a play with it. Maybe uh, let's do a podcast episode on some interesting use cases we found for Loop um, after we've uh, been able to do it. The templates feature in it seems very robust and quite interesting. Um, and I think when Copilot starts working with it, um, that could then start to get really interesting. So let's move on. Let's move on to the main subject, all about Copilot, all about um, Microsoft's uh, ability to include AI inside the applications you know and love. Um, Anthony, do you want to give us a bit of an overview around what was announced, how it was announced, and and what actually Copilot is? Yeah, I I knew nothing about this until uh, it hit our screens middle of last week, um, and is fairly a fairly fundamental change. So in summary, what Copilot is is bringing together three key elements of the Microsoft 365 environment. One of them being all of your applications. So all of the applications, the desktop productivity applications that we're used to using. The second one is the Microsoft Graph. So that ability within the Microsoft environment for um, all, you know, to find all the information through searches of what has gone on within that environment, be it your emails, be it your files, be it your meetings, be it your chats. Um, so those two key elements, and then joining those together with a large language model, um, which is, you know, if we call it chat GPT, that's really what it is. It's that ability for um, you to use natural language and for that to be interpreted as a request um, into those two areas. So into your applications and into the Microsoft graph. So into your information that you've got within your Microsoft 365 environment. And when those three are brought together, it creates this ability for us to uh, to use what they're calling Copilot as a tool to uh, bring those three things together and use the intelligence of the chat GPT bit, the large language um, model bit, to interpret the information and present it back to us. Um, sorry, there's a great diagram. I don't know if I've done justice to it, but hopefully you'll get the idea. It's those three things that come together. So when you put a request into Copilot, um, the language model will refine that um, that request. It will then go and do that search through the graph. Um, it will then bring that information back. It goes through the language model again, and that refines the results that have come back and presents them to you in the Microsoft 365 applications. So in summary, that's what it is. In summary, it's, it's um, magic. It's magic, yeah. Witchcraft wizardry. And I think the real power of it is the implementation of it. And we're going to talk about how this is going to be integrated into the applications and your everyday life and things like that. I think Microsoft have said that um, there are a small amount of customers currently testing this out today in a private preview, and that will slowly roll out to more and more customers. They've also said that at this time they're not sharing any information in on how it's going to be bundled or licensed. Um, so I think from my perspective, I would be amazed if this just became available to every SKU, every version of Microsoft 365, because the compute power that is going to be needed behind this in, in Azure, we've, we can only assume, is going to be massive. So I would anticipate this is only going to be available to those E5 type SKUs or will be a bolt on to other users. But we're, we're waiting to hear from Microsoft on that, um, uh, on that point and when we're likely to see it. But I'd imagine Microsoft are going to want to try and push this through, push it through correctly. Um, and that's something that we'll come on to because I think since we saw the launch of the public preview of ChatGPT, 
we've seen a lot of people now kind of bring their technologies to the forefront to make sure that they're still competitive, that they're leveraging open AI and, um, and things like that. So, um, yeah, so let's move on now. Um, I'm going to change order slightly so people don't have to hear from me uh, too much. So let's dig into some examples of how um, Copilot will be able to be used with the applications that uh, you uh, know and love. Um, Anthony, do you want to take us on uh, or start the conversation on the Microsoft 365 Office applications, those traditional applications that we've been using for some time? Yeah, what I would say is that there's a, a great video that Microsoft have launched around this, giving us a kind of teaser and a bit of an overview on a lot of things that uh, happen in there. And one of them that caught my attention is that, you know, the, the Copilot model is embedded in the office. It's a little bit more sophisticated than Clippy, who used to tap on the screen and say, it looks like you're writing a letter. It's really taking that to uh, the uh, the ultimate level. Um, so. One of the examples that you know made me think at the moment I saw it was the fact that if I've done what I normally do uh, in my normal way and I've written a proposal for a client, um, and the next thing that usually happens is the salesman takes that away, he comes back, he goes, yes, that's all going well. Um, we need to go and do a presentation for them. I will sit and I will look through the proposal and I will choose the uh, the, the best way to turn that into a PowerPoint to present the key elements from that. And that's the kind of thing that is demonstrated that can be done automatically. So I can point um, the Copilot environment at my proposal and say, I need to do a three-point proposal, uh, sorry, a, a three-point PowerPoint in an informal way on this proposal here. Can you do that for me? And it'll just go away in the background, create the slides, create um, the the key points that I need to put across, fill out on those, come up with a conclusion, and it'll do all of that bit for me. So really, it's going and doing my job for me. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of one very simple example of how Copilot can be used um, with, in linking between the Office application, the Word application I've written the proposal in, and the PowerPoint application that I'm going to use to uh, present that information. So yeah, I'll, I'll uh, hand it back to the others to uh, to expand on that a little bit, but uh, I'll come back with some more in a minute. I think as well, it, when I was watching um, the sort of announcement video, it isn't just take the document and create a PowerPoint. It's even things like asking it to change images or um, edit things or asking it questions around that. I just think the intelligence it will bring and it's not, it's not all about the intelligence, it's about creativity as well. It will help with that um, in terms of PowerPoint. I definitely like feel, and I may be jumping the gun here, in terms of Word and Excel. And for someone who, you know, isn't the biggest Excel fan, I feel like it will really enhance Excel as well because they were showing an example of all this data and then they put into Copilot what was our most successful three months or what was the thing that was sold the most over the last two months. And whilst you can dig into that information, you can use your filters, you can go through and find that information. The fact that you can just ask that question and it comes back to you really quickly and easily with a little bit of extra information as well, just means you're, you're getting stuff done a lot quicker rather than having to just rely on you doing it as an individual. And I agree, and I think that's something that really stood out to me in Excel because I'm quite an analytical person. 
but I'm, I'm not the most in-depth user of when it comes to Excel. So I may know the trends that I would like to learn from the data, but it might not always be easy for me to figure out how do I get those out of the data. So the ability to ask it a question, give it a bit of context in terms of what the data is and how that might be, will allow me to get valuable data out of there, which I could get myself, but it might be that I've got to sit down for half a day think about it a little bit more, think about how I can get that data. And it might just be that I can just do a few what if queries and get a flavor for what the data could be showing me. And I think that could be really, really valuable. Yeah, about 20 years ago, when I looked a lot younger than this, I did um, an MBA and one of the subjects we looked at um, was a guy called Peter Drucker and his definition of um, what he called an information, a, a knowledge worker. And uh, I pulled out you know, the books on the shelves behind me. Quite a few of those are left over from my MBA and never get opened. But I pulled one of that out the other day and he defined it as a knowledge worker is a high level worker who applies theoretical and analytical knowledge acquired through formal training to develop products and services. So that was his you know, definition from 1959. And I think what I'm seeing now is that changing because I haven't got to go and acquire that knowledge through formal training to develop products and services. I can use um, ChatGPT or that large language model uh, and the intelligences within there to do that for me. So I think it is really quite a turning point in the way in which we work. It will create a new way in which we'll work together where we're drawing on the expertise of the past, but having it delivered to us in a way that we can apply very easy, easily to our business. The other key point I picked up from it was that, you know, constantly you're given that opportunity, not just to take what it gives you and, and send that out to your customer, but to actually tune it and refine it. And I know, I know um, Megan's uh, and, and Barry have used ChatGPT quite a lot for developing uh, text and things like that. And it's that ability to, you know, sometimes it gets things wrong. Barry, was it you? I don't know if you said this earlier, but sometimes chat gpt will get things wrong but in a useful way that make you in, you know understand exactly you know what you've you've said wrong to the learning model so you can go and tweak that um and i think it's in microsoft say as you're completely right there it's either it's really helpfully right or it's usefully wrong and 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 we'll come on to chat gpt and how you can use that but that's something that i felt but sometimes you stare at a blank page or you think, how do I do this? And you're able to talk to these AI models and they put something on screen and all it does is it shows you how you don't want to talk about it. But equally that then triggers something going, actually, I want to do this. And, and I think one of the elements, I, I haven't got a screenshot to remind me of what each of the buttons are, but you get the ability whenever it creates something to go retry, or you can then prompt it slightly differently to go, could you try that again? But can you make the tone a little bit more friendly and formal, formal mm. um, corporate or whatever those might be from that perspective? So it's not like you get one chance to say something and see what comes back. And that's what it can do. You can tweak it. You can tune it um, to be able to um, act in a slightly different way. Yeah, those yeah. bits, uh, Barry, were at the bottom. It would say this is too long. Make it shorter. Make it longer um, to make it friendly to I think there was even something you could add emojis and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think the fact that you can tweak it is a really nice thing because it, it's always a great starting block. It's never, well, we'll come on to examples later, but um, from what I've got, it's never been 100% right 
the first time, it does need a little bit of tweaking from a human. And I think um, another example, Anthony used a really good example around how Word could be used to create a summary PowerPoint pre presentation. One of the areas that I always struggle with is I've, I've written a, a proposal document or an architectural design document, and then you go, ah, now I've got to write the executive summary. And you've got to try and summarize what's in the document in a way that maybe the target audience isn't even the target audience. This is designed for the finance director that is just going to read the, the executive summary and then get to the bottom of the bit where it comes to the price or something like that. If you're able to write a whole document and then you're able to say to Copilot, write me an executive summary that will be able to be understood by a finance director and a managing director, as well as the target audience of this document, make sure that you um, call out the key points of our solution and the benefits for the customer it will then have a first attempt at writing that. And I think, as, as Megan says, it won't be right, but it will just give you enough prompts to be able to tweak it to get to somewhere where you need to be. And ultimately, it might actually do something that you haven't ever considered before, because it's not limited by your perspective of the world. It will be limited by industry standards and all the other things that it's been trained by. Definitely. Yeah. Just coming back to PowerPoint quickly, the bit I did really love as well is when you create a PowerPoint, if it was from a document or anything like that, it also puts the notes in the notes section for you. So it hasn't just created the PowerPoint, it's then got the notes for you, which again, you'll probably have to tweak, etc. But at least it gives you a great starting point of what you're going to say for each slide, depending on what they've created as well, which I just thought I felt like a really nice touch. I felt like they didn't have to do that, but it was a really nice touch that they have done it. Yeah, I, I would pick up on that as well. You know, when I do a PowerPoint presentation, I'm kind of quite traditional. I just like it, some really good bullet points. Um, when Barry does a bit of PowerPoint presentation, he always likes to put a few images on there. Um, and he'll always say to me, look, put some images on it, liven it up a bit, Anthony. Um, I can just do that through Copilot, you know, by asking it to go and find me some Im suitable images. Um, I can tell it to you know, add some animation to it, which I never messed with really uh, not for a long time uh, and it can go and do that um, and it gives me access to a lot more functionality within the Microsoft applications than I would normally use I think the usual adages that uh, you know most people use about 20% of the application and I think what this will do will give us access to the other 80% of the, um, the functionality available within those office apps without us having to go and learn those things so uh, yeah love it from, from what I've seen, it also does it with a, from what I've seen, from a, with an amount of style and decor rather than doing it in quite a nasty way. Because we all know how bad PowerPoint presentations can get with animations and things like that. But the examples that I've seen seem to be using some good design standards. That it's not just text coming driving onto the screen and stuff like that. It's the text might be static, but some of the background elements are just slowly fading in, but they're doing multiple things at one time, so it creates a nice transition. Um, I think we'll come to it a bit later. I think it's how do we then stick to corporate design standards, corporate tone of voice and things like that. So I hope there is some ability for the organizations to train those things at an organizational level. But I think we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, Megan, have you got any thoughts around Outlook? I know when we were speaking earlier, you had some um, concerns about the Outlook integration, but equally the, the, there's obviously positive opportunities there as well. Yeah, so I think um, when 
the announcement was made, they started talking about Outlook and it does some incredibly useful things. Um, like if you've got an overflowing inbox, so if your name's Barry Coombs, this might be really useful to you. Um, if you've got a number of emails that have come in, Copilot will come up and say, these are the sort of emails that I've picked as priority out of your inbox. It allows you to see those priority emails rather than having to filter through and make your own decisions. All of that um, can make it really easy for you to get to those emails a lot quicker. Um, and it does things like if someone sends you an email and shows you that you have actions, it can almost draft up a response for you. And I can see how these things will be incredibly useful, especially the priority thing. There's just certain bits that as they're talking about it, you almost get a little little red flags appearing that actually if I get a if somebody emails me and I get an auto response I might accidentally just go oh yeah that's good enough send it without taking the time to read their email to read my response and then if I jump on a call with them I've not got the knowledge of what was in the email thread because I've probably skipped that because Copilot did the job for me there's got to be that human intelligence piece that we are still reading the email thread, reading the summary of the email thread that it will give us, anything like that. And just tweaking that response as well. Don't just assume it's got it right for you. It is not you. It's not taken that personal human element of you and put that in. And we need to make sure we're still building that knowledge. Equally, things like the priority, sort of highlighting those priority bits, it's probably taking those from which ones have given you actions from your emails or something like that. Um, and it doesn't take into consideration maybe what your priority is in the organization at the moment. So I have a very sort of P1 priority for myself at Computer World at the moment. Teams probably doesn't know that. I haven't told Teams that it's that. I haven't told Copilot because I haven't got it yet that that is. And if I got an email about this one priority, it, it may not know that that's P1 for me, may skip that off of my priority list and I may miss that. So again, I think all of this just has to be taken with a little bit of consideration, a little bit of responsibility as humans that we still have that job to do. It's not doing everything for us. So, but again, some really good bits that are coming to Outlook that hopefully for people like you, Barry, will will make your life a little bit easier and your inbox a little bit clearer, maybe. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think uh, thinking? Good, point, <laughs> good points made there. And I think the important thing is this is here to augment those human experiences and the knowledge that we have and not replace them. Um, maybe at some point down the later on the line, it will, I don't know. But I think where we are today is about that making you more productive, giving you insights that you probably wouldn't have had before, and then integrating those into those relevant different applications. I want to move on now from those kind of traditional applications to some of the other uh, experiences or the, the modern applications, as, as, as we call them. Um, and specifically, one that I'm really looking forward to is the business chat functionality. Now, I think speaking to Anthony the other day, you, you kind of invented this yourself the other day. You did a bit of programming and hooked some stuff up together. But we'll come to that in a minute. Let's talk about what business chat is first. So business chat is the ability, and it looks like that uh, it'll probably be available in a few environments, but the primary environment I've seen is inside Microsoft Teams, you will be able to have a conversation with Copilot. Now, Copilot will have the ability to look at what the data, the documents, the information that you have the ability to look at. So 
security context with Microsoft is always ultimately important. We will get onto that a little bit further. But if you have the ability to look in several SharePoint sites into your email and some chats, conversations, files, Copilot will also be able to look into those only for you. So it takes into consideration what do you have access to and it will be able to limit it responses back. But you can go, Copilot, what do we think about this strategy? Or what are the top five products that we sell in our organization? And you'll be able to ask it sets of questions and it will be able to use your data as the context for its responses. Now, we'll come to ChatGPT a bit later, but I've been using ChatGPT for similar reasons, not about my data, because ChatGPT doesn't give access to my data. And from a security perspective, I wouldn't put confidential information in ChatGPT. Um, but I've been using it to help me research industry standards or product uh, ideas or to get a different perspective on a thought that I might have to understand what different perspectives might be. And I think this is where business chat really might come in. Um, and say, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. And, and as I say, maybe share about what you've been doing with ChatGPT in this space. Well, I, I mean, ChatGPT is, um, it, you can, what, the reason I was looking at it was to do some stuff around Power Automate um, and you can actually call stuff from ChatGPT um, into Power Automate. So I was starting to uh, mess around with that. So I can, um, you know, put put a question in there, uh, ask it, can get the results back and, and filter it. Um, and it's it's quite good. And I, and I see Power Automate as being the glue that can start to stick together a lot of things within the Microsoft 365 environment. And I'm not sure how that will work alongside uh, Copilot because it's uh, it, it uh, could take it to a whole new level. You'll get to the uh, situation where you've got one uh, stream of information arguing against the other. But yeah, I think, uh, I don't know what I think on this. I, I really am kind of just wondering where it's all going to end up. Um, it's doing my head in at the moment, thinking about how we would change the way in which processes happen in organizations based on this, because a lot of the processes that go on in organizations at the moment are things that through this process and through Copilot can be automated. So it means what is left. Um, so yeah, interesting times. That, I don't know if I answered the question there, Barry, but I can't remember what it was anymore. No, no, you, you give us the perspective on the business chat there. And I, I think it is, yeah. um, it's very different, isn't it? You're talking to a machine, you're asking a machine for its thoughts on something. And, and that's very different to, to the way that we have been working um, before. I, what I like about it is, it, it is that context of my data, the context of my knowledge, um, which will allow me to ask and query those various different um, things there. Well, I think um, it's learning learning your style as well. What I found with ChatGPT, and I think it's probably because I'm just using the free version, it doesn't remember anything about me, the way I like to do things, the, you know, uh, and I have to kind of take things and be quite prescriptive. Uh, it doesn't learn about my personality, how you know formal or informal I like to be with things. Um, and it doesn't retain that information from one session to the next. And that's what I think will be the real advantage here. I, I'm assuming sat in the middle of this, it's building a profile of who we are, what we do, how we work, um, which is scary in some ways, but is also going to ensure that every one of the results it gets back from uh, from the graph, is going to be modified based on who we are and how we like to access things and how we like to talk about things. Yeah, I think so I will, be, there'll be no reason for me to have a personality anymore. I think so. it'd be important for Copilot to have the ability to have 
that profile available to be tweaked because you're quite right in chat gpt you are able to train it but it is on conversation by conversation so if you leave a conversation everything that you've taught it will then be lost in the next conversation whereas i do think when we're using this in a business context you do want to go look this is my role this is who i am this is the way that i like to write or this is the way that the organization tells me to write and those kind of things but you'd want to know what it knows and where the bias it's getting and where the type of response it's getting from that side. Um, Megan, do you want to take us on to, to Teams meetings and, and how that's going to be integrated? Yeah, so um, looks like there's going to be two sort of main ways that it's going to be used in Teams meetings. The first way is when you're actually in the meeting. Um, so, for example, I could join a meeting. Maybe I've joined, I don't know, five minutes late for some reason. Um, when I join, I can say to Copilot, what have I missed already? And it will give me a summary of what has been discussed so far, any actions, anything like that. Um, but it can do some other bits. And again, maybe add, I want to say add, maybe not, maybe add a little bit of intelligence. So we could be talking about what we're going to do, what solution we're going to come up with. Um, and I could say, Copilot, is everyone in the meeting in agreement with this decision? And it may come back and say, oh, actually, the team seem a little bit um, undecided as to what is the right decision. Now, when I was watching the video, I was like, that's amazing. And then I came away and I was like, well, surely I should be able to read the people in the meeting myself without having to ask something. Are my team all in agreement? I should, if anything, if I don't know that question, I should just unmute myself and say, look, is everyone in agreement here? Because I shouldn't be asking co-pilot to do that. So there are certain bits like the actions that have been discussed, like the summary that's happening, all of that that I can see really useful. Certain bits that were in the uh, sort of launch video. I'm, again, a little bit sceptical that are they are needed. And again, we need to have a little bit of in human intelligence. The next part of it, though, is the um, meeting recap. So for example, if I was invited into a meeting this afternoon, I'm already in another meeting or in their example, I've got a dentist appointment. So I can't actually attend that meeting. What I can now do is I can follow that meeting. And once that meeting has um, finished, I will get a meeting recap in my activity in Teams. And when I click into that, it will show me the content that was shared in that meeting. It will show me the actions that were given and who they were given to. Um, I can then see the summary points. And then it also went into more detail around, I think in their example, one of the customers, um, there was an action for me to take for one of my customers. I could then go onto Copilot and say, what other options were discussed around my customer's solution? And then it would tell me a summary of those bits as well. So I wasn't just taking that action and going, right, I'll run with that. I could get a bit more intelligence around what was discussed, why that solution was sort of decided and the outcome um, of that as well. So I think post-meeting, incredibly useful. I think certain bits in the meeting, useful. Certain bits, and I'm going to keep banging on about this. Anthony's Captain Chaos, I'm business intelligence <laughs> Meg or something, I don't know. Uh, but there needs to be a bit of human intelligence here as well. I think it's... Um... It's quite interesting to see how it's going to do some of those bits and pieces. Being someone that has had to take minutes in meetings before, um, 
it's very difficult for me to get some of the context that you've described there as to, OK, so this is what the decision is. Uh, first of all, we don't go in a meeting. Right. The decision on this matter is X, Y and Z. It's lovely when that does happen. Um, and that's a very clear, well run meeting. But often the time you kind of go, what decision did we make? And then to be able to further go and what options did we discuss? Um, mm. I'm going to be quite amazed to see how it can pick those things up. And if it can, that is going to be truly useful to, to have that level of intelligence and the ability to ask those level um, of questions around the meetings. I think the, the example of um, how were people feeling about this item when they discussed it, I think that's really useful if you weren't in the meeting. Um, so I can understand that in the meeting, you should be able to read it. But for me to go, right, the decision was X, Y, and Z. I might sit there going, how has the team come to come to that decision when I'm not there? I, I don't feel that that would have been the decision would have been made. So I could go, how did the team feel around this decision? And it might came up, mm. come up saying, actually, this was this was heavily debated and people were in uh, agreed to disagree, but uh, agreed that this was the conclusion. I don't know, um, but it might help give you that further context that simply a set of minutes doesn't give you. Yeah, I think the, um, there's a whole discussion to be had around the ethics of AI and the whole of this environment and Microsoft often kind of say you know they, they always highlight <clears throat> that these things can be used for good or can be used for evil and you know responsibly used AI is what they're promoting but you know if I if it came back to me and said um, throughout the meeting M Megan was grumpy you know because it's into he's listened to what her and she's not you know or you know Barry's not said anything this you know in the whole of this meeting I you know that's never going to happen but it's uh, <laughs> it, it could it could be coming back with observations like that that are inappropriate um in that environment and if i'm there i might notice that i might pick up on the fact that you know that bar is very quiet today um and i might take that you know as a, a prompt to do uh, to act on that um but what well, that whole ethics thing you know it shouldn't be making judgments on who we are and how we act as part of the, the whole thing so uh, I think there's a massive discussion alongside the security one to have around uh, the ethics of AI. I assume in things like meetings, and this is probably a question for maybe Microsoft more than us, um, I assume if I was to ask Copilot stuff in a meeting, nobody else in that meeting would see it. It would just be for me to see. Is that correct? Does anyone know? That would be my understanding, I would think. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And so, so Anthony, do you want to dig into a bit more of those security things and how, how do you think it's going to work and what have Microsoft said around that? Because this is going to be really important, isn't it? Because the whole the challenge with ChatGPT is it's it's and they, they say it, this isn't for confidential information to be shared because it's a learning model that's currently in, in beta. The risk is anything you are sharing with it could become part of the learning model, whereas Microsoft have got a very different approach to it. So put, put your Captain Chaos hat on outside of the ethics from a security perspective and, and what you know of security in 365 today. How do you think that's going to be implemented? Oh, it's this a disaster. your time to shine, Anthony. <laughs> Absolute disaster. And it just goes back to the basics of ensuring that your security and your permissions in your environment are correct. You know, and that you don't have access to things you shouldn't have access to and people don't have access to things that that you have. We often just a simple example. We often say to people when we do a uh, kind of a, a security plan um, and, and put a storage strategy together, we say, how are you going to use your OneDrive? 
and people can say, I just want that to be an area for personal files um, where I'm saving stuff that I'm working on um, personally alone. And we need to make sure that that isn't uh, available to uh, Copilot because if it goes along and starts looking at all those things, it might, you know, it might pick something up and go, oh, Anthony's got a dental dentist appointment um, at this point in the middle of this meeting, and that's why he's not coming. And um, it, you know, highlighting and, and making those kind of things available. Or if you ask for, you know, let, tell me about the uh, opportunity, uh, you know, create a proposal for this this client. It might identify that Anthony is, you know, having a conversation with them about work, you know moving to them to, to for work um, you don't want that embedded in your in your um, your proposal to them um, so yeah getting the security model right and getting um, all the, the great functionality that's coming in Microsoft purview and the enhancements we've seen over the last few uh, I don't know, six months in purview have been fantastic um, which will make sure that it's only the right information and the relevant information that have been made available to copilot to uh, process um, and to uh, embed in the, the documents and uh, presentations, etc., that it's creating. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, I can get onto a lot of people's systems and go and find things that I really shouldn't find. And it's not, um, it, it's not because they, well, it is because they haven't got the security right, but they've not done that maliciously. They've done that because they just didn't realize. And I think that's an important thing. The whole, you know, once you give Microsoft access to the graph, the you know, underneath all of those things, so where all your messages are stored and how they're all linked together, and all your files and all of that, um, then it can run rampage through that unless the security be, uh, places in the security mechanisms are in place to protect them. And, and I think that's, I think that's something we can have confidence about that Microsoft have said that getting the security model of this right, getting it out quickly to make sure that people are able to make use of it, but ultimately doing it in a safe way is top priority for them. So the next stage will then come to the IT administrators to evaluate that against your risk uh, factors, uh, making sure that you're configuring the relevant security settings that might be available to it to match your organization. So. To, to, to be the other side of the chaos story, I'd be quite confident in implementing this in a business that didn't have ultra secret uh, elements. They've said very clearly that it will be in context with what you have a visibility for and not uh, anything else from that perspective, but it will need to be done in a considered manner, taking the security configuration and, and settings into place, I think. Yeah, and it's going back think... to the basics and, and thinking through those things and getting that right and and data labeling will become more and more important to uh, you know labeling of emails once um, the graph has got access to I, I assume you turn that on and say yeah I'm going to let this look at the contents of my emails then it will be important to uh, have those emails tagged because you'll then be able to say look I, people can see my um, you know, business emails but they can't see anything I've labeled up as personal or, co or client confidential or things like that so uh, the whole um security model needs to be thought through and it needs to be implemented correctly i think as well whilst we're talking about considerations um that need to be made i think there is considerations around sort of awareness and adoption of this obviously we've spoken around people making sure they still use their own 
intelligence around it, making sure that they know how to use it. But I think when you're talking about this, there's been that many films that have been created around robots taking over your jobs and stuff like that. But I think naturally there will be some people that are quite fearful of this, that people will be using it and that people will be using it for their jobs. And does that take over my role? Am I still needed here? I think the answer is yes, you are still needed because it can't do everything. It can just enhance that. It can change the way we work. It can make us more productive. But I think that awareness of, look, this is what it is. This is how tech can be used for good, which is another thing Microsoft and others say around tech for good and all of that, how it can be used. And then that training piece of when is it right to use it? When is it right to trust it wholeheartedly? Or actually, what do you need to do as well? I think there is a whole people element to this that we need to be very aware of and make sure we're bringing them along on the journey and helping them if that makes sense makes sense makes sense i think we've already shared a number of example use cases and, and maybe how we're also using things like chat gpt today but is there anything specifically that either of you want to shout out in either of those areas at all the only thing um, I would say, and it's probably a little bit of lived experience, is, and it's probably stuff we touched on already, is it doesn't replace you, it doesn't replace your team. So there was, um, when I first started using it, I got very excited. I could use it to bounce ideas off of myself, um, put in, I don't know, podcast titles, give me five podcast titles around disaster recovery. And it is really good for those opening up maybe a different structure of a title that I wouldn't have thought of or it brings up words that I wouldn't have thought of and it is good for that again it wasn't right I took some ideas and then created it myself but then what is also um sort of I realized is I was doing that with chat GPT and actually I could be doing that with Georgia in my team mm -hmm. so now I probably get some original ideas and then I take them to Georgia and I'm like right now what do we like what do we like from this bit what don't we like what should we use here so again, it's don't just assume that ChatGPT is now your best friend and you can use it for everything and Copilot will give you everything. You still have that team who have a lot of creative ideas. So that's probably a bit of lived experience. I started using it and then I realized actually me and Georgia work really well together. We could do this. So we've taken a few ideas from there and then we've come up with something 10 times better than AI did. But we took some initial ideas from there. So um, yeah, just, just a quick lesson learned, I guess. That's a really important lesson because, you know, I'm, as you guys know, I like to be in a room with people. This whole working from home thing is quite challenging at times. And, you know, unless I, you know, unless I see people um, on, not on a regular basis, but it's, it's, it's okay seeing you guys on the screen, but it's much better when we're together in a room. We learn so much more. And people naturally need human connections, don't they? They need to, you know, be touched by people and need to talk with people and stimulate conversations with each other, which is what we lose a lot of working from home. Um, so if that, even that intelligence bit of it is replaced by a machine, then there's a danger that, you know, long-term communities will not really happen in the way that they have done before. Um, much better to be in a room with a whiteboard and discussing things than, uh, you know, talking to a machine any day for me. 
Um, and I just see, you know, I know that's because I'm a baby boomer or something like that. But, uh, mod, you know, the, the younger guys in the office, I think they, you know, they will lose out through not being able to communicate effectively if they're always just constantly bouncing their ideas off a machine. I think the opportunity here is the inclusion and the augmentation of that technology with the good things that we do. So in the examples you've both used there, AI could probably augment those conversations. It could be suggesting things. Oh, why don't you talk about this? You're talking about that at the moment. Have you thought about this thing? And you either look at it and go, no, I don't need to think about that thing. You go, actually, no, that's a really good idea. Sometimes you just need those prompts to be able to help you think outside of your frame of the world um, to to see something differently. And I, I completely agree. I think for me, it's the augmentation rather than the replacement of human interaction, communities and things like that. And how can it provide more value? So Mm -hmm. I think we'll wrap up now. I just want to thank everyone that listens to the podcast. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe, like, make sure you give us any comments uh, below. Also, make sure you check out the last podcast if you didn't listen to it. We were talking about how far people were with the adoption of Microsoft 365 and you've got the ability to go and score yourself to see where your organization is and to pinpoint those areas where you might uh, improve. Now I thought to sign off the podcast it'd be quite interesting to see what AI said um, uh, for signing off so uh, here we go here's what ChatGPT says to sign us off let us know in the thoughts below how well ChatGPT did. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today where we've been chatting about Microsoft's super cool co-pilot technology. It's their take on GPT-4 mixed with Microsoft Graph and Microsoft 365. As we wrap up, we just want to highlight that Copilot has a ton of potential to change the way we work and team up, making things way easier and snappier for all of us. But let's not forget, there are some challenges that come with this awesome tech. We've got to keep an eye on, uh, eyes open and deal with things like AI ethics, data privacy, job changes as they come. So as we get ready to enjoy all the cool stuff in Copilot and other AI tools have to offer, let's remember that it's up to all of us to make sure they're used responsibly and fairly. That means keeping things open, honest, and making sure everyone's privacy and rights are respected. In the end, it's up to us to find that sweet spot where we can all benefit from the amazing AI tools while still keeping our values and principles in check. And who knows, maybe together we can shape the future that's even better than we imagined. So a lot of AI fluff there that could probably have dealt with a human, but equally some cool stuff. Super cool. Never using the word particular word. Yeah, I'm never going to use the word snappy in any anything I'm writing. So uh, yeah. But there we go. For your conclusion, that's our wrap up today. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I hope you are now thinking about how you can be using the technology such as Copilot or ChatGPT. Thank you for listening. We look forward to uh, speaking to you on the next podcast.